Welcome to All American Gunslingers featuring your Baldy Reports. Hey everybody, this is John at your Baldy Reports, the one podcast that provides fact, not fiction, on issues facing America, whether domestically and internationally. Today we got a big topic that's kind of been in the news for a long time. It's going to be diversity, equity, and inclusion. But before we get started, let me introduce my two co-hosts. First is Big Bad Joe Bitts, former combat Marine. I forgot to tell you. What's that? Today's my alive day. Your what? My alive day. What do you mean your live day? My alive day. You never heard of an alive day? Yeah, well, every time I wake up in the morning. Okay. What do you mean? Well, yeah, pretty much. What do you mean a lie? That's when I, it was when I was injured 18 years ago. Oh, that's right. You, well, I was going to get to Joe was wounded in Iraq because he stepped on something he probably shouldn't have. Yeah. And then there's um, Ray Krause, who's a um, retired uh, Marine, reti- um, medically retired, but he was a Marine. And so, as I said earlier, we're going to talk about... The, Diversity, excuse me, diversity, equity, and inclusion, because that seems to be the big buzzwords now. Everything is about equity. And the, th- the reason I want to talk about this is like I've been saying this many times on the podcast about education. Now, the America. Uh, we, we are going to get into equity, inclusion, but I want to talk about something else. Okay, go for it. But we have to talk about it because it's top of mind. And okay, it's, go it's ahead. a big issue. Okay, let's go. Let's, but let's we stop. have to talk about Nashville. Okay, Nashville. I'm sure everybody by now knows what happened in Nashville. There was I know, a but trans- I think we kind of we need to uh, elaborate because a lot of things are coming out now that were – because this happened on Monday? Tuesday. Oh, today's Wednesday. Yeah, it happened Monday. Okay, so, I mean, first of all, I want to say kudos to the law enforcement. Oh, my gosh, they did an amazing did you see, but did job. You see the video was amazing where, I mean, the guy had to been like. He was a Marine. He was a Marine, okay. He was. That's, okay, that's because verified. he had that command voice. <laughs> yeah. I was getting goosebumps. Yeah. Just, yep. just, I was getting goosebumps it's just watching this. It's what you this. want. It's what you want. <laughs> oh, He's yeah. like, because what happened is he went up there and whoever, the administrator of the school was just like, all right, all the classrooms are locked down. We're missing two kids, you know, and he's like, okay, I'm ready to go. All right. They gave him the keys and they just went nuts. He was like, he was like rifle in first, rifle in first, rifle in first, you know, every doorway. And the thing is, he was like, we're stacking up on the door. He goes, I need four. I need four. I need four. He goes, I need three. I need two. I need one more. I need one more. And as soon as one, all right, we're going. And he looked like, he looked like, it sounded like he looked at the other cops and be like, it's time to nut up or shut up. Let's go. Well, But the thing, the one thing they, they learned from. Is what happened at Parkland where they sat outside and they waited. Mm-hmm. And then they had the Uvalde shooting That's, the last I year. I, I think after this, it's never going to happen again. Even, no. If not, no, I mean, it's well, but even, set now. But even yeah. before that, that was the, the, aber, um, the abnormal response. Because after Columbine, prior to Columbine, they waited first before you went in. Mm-hmm. After Columbine, they said no longer to wait. You go where the shooting start, is. But then... For some reason, the, the police officers, sheriffs, or whoever, and I haven't seen the full report, but they waited before they went in. And mm-hmm. that was the same thing in the Uvalde, Texas shooting. They waited, and you see the videos. When one deputy or one officer has plenty of time to go get Purell or hand sanitizer, I mean, come on. I think after Uvalde and now that Nashville happened, and yes, a tragedy because you know two children did lose their lives, but I think they kind of set the precedent, and I think people maybe in the back of their head or what's going on is, hey, 
cops themselves because I don't think cops they got a bad name from Uvalde. No, they did. And I think they're like, and I, I mean, I would take that kind of mentality here in Tampa, you know, wherever I was. Like if it was like Ray, even if like Ray and I just like walking by, we see something going off. I'm looking at him. We're pulling our ARs out of our truck, and we're like, "You ready to go? I'm ready to go." Yep. You know, no, no helmets. You know, and just but like the thing but is, you just saw the guy coming in and his sweeping tactic. It was. Beautiful. But see, even on this shooting in the, the police response, I talked to law enforcement from federal, state, and local, because I work at a law enforcement supply company. We get guys coming in all the time. And they're always looking at after-action reports from Uvalde, Parkland, other shootings that went really well, even this shooting. You also want to look at the actions of the police officer. And they're going to look at it again. And just for training purposes, they're also going to look at their after-action report Maybe we could – what could we have done different? And you always want to – it's not second-guess yourself. Mm-hmm. You just want to go back, take a 1,000-point um, uh, view, and look at what could we have done differently. But they they reacted pretty very well. The school did a phenomenal job by passing them the keys. Here's the – they gave them the best information. It's over here. They're on this floor. It's, so by and, giving that information right away, now there's so, also the school did everything they could. The only way the the assailant could have gotten into school, and you saw it, is that she shot through the windows, or I'm sorry, they shot through the windows, or whatever we want to well, identify them so as. She shot through the window. I'm and, not playing. And, and this goes to our diversity, equity, inclusion. Yeah, she's a she. Go from there. Now, this goes to Ray. I was on my radio show this morning. And we talked about, you know, we didn't get into all of it on the gun control. The one thing that I did say is we were talking about guns and how you get them. And I said, listen, here in Florida, I work at a gun store, law enforcement, but mm-hmm. we also sell to civilians. Not a cop. Not a cop. But we also sell to civilians. And what I said is you cannot get a gun, firearm, whether rifle or pistol, in Florida without going through the background check. Mm-hmm. The only way you can take a firearm out of the store the very day that you come in to buy it is you have to have a concealed carry permit. Even law enforcement, without the concealed carry permit, they cannot take that weapon out unless they have a letter from their department stipulate everything that normally would go, but they still have to do a background check. Now, the question I would have for Ray was brought up. They always bring out... You can go into a gun show and you get a a weapon and you can walk out. They still do background checks at gun shows, right? They they do uh, background checks, yes. But what they're talking about is down here in Florida, we have uh, the right to a private sale. So what can happen is you can go to a gun show and somebody who's got a rifle or firearm, you can do a private sale right then and there. Mm-hmm. Now. I heavily, heavily, heavily advise you get a background check done as a third party. But you have the right to not do a background check and do a private sale between the two and hope that, you know, that gun's got nothing on it. The individual selling's got nothing on it because if well, something were to happen, it's I just, think. But know, even like a friend of mine, he um, he gifted me a firearm. I know the guy. Yeah. Now, like like. I like Joe, a, I got gifted a firearm myself. <laughs> I get, like, I sold a firearm to Joe, mm-hmm. but I know Joe. If it was somebody I didn't know, 
I'm at least, at very least, getting their information of their address, their Most serial, do that. their but driver's you, license. You want to tell them you, you what, what I bought it for? Or how much I what I bought it for? I sold Joe a custom two, Kimber custom two. But what did 40, I, how did, no, what was the transaction? I bought you. Oh, what? yeah, yeah. I, Joe bought me brand new tires because I needed tires for my truck. So thank you, Joe. You traded a gun for four tires? Yeah. Hey, well, I told I, that well, dying. In my defense, I told him, John, at any moment, when you want to buy this gun back, you can get it back. You can get it back. But just know, remember this experience, man. <laughs> I know, but just remember this. Just for throw this out. The weapon was in really good condition. Oh, it was great condition. Oh, yeah. It was clean. It was everything. Had the box and everything. But the other issue that I brought up, right? Okay. We know where certain people of the segment of the country is going, especially political leaders. The thing that I brought up on the show is mental illness. Now, Everybody focuses on this on mental illness. Now, right now, there was like a, a little bit of debate between Martha McCallum on Fox News and Brian Kilmeade. Obviously, Brian Kilmeade was on one side of the island. Martha McCallum was kind of saying, well, listen, what did we, we keep going through this. But what I, was, what I brought up on mental health is in California, as an example, back in 2002, under um, then, I think it was Senate Majority Leader um, Daryl Steinberg, he was now the mayor of Sacramento. He passed a bill and it got signed that they would um, tax the top 1%, I think it was like 1.5% or something like that, mm -hmm. of whatever they make, would go to mental health issue. Well, they're having a problem identifying where does some of the money go. Now, remember in New York City where the former mayor, Mayor de Blasio, his wife was in charge of mental health in his city. And she was asked by a city council member, where did can you tell us what you did with the eight hundred million dollars? And she can't. So the question, when everybody talks mental illness, my question is, where is the funding going? Now we had an individual in my church who had severe mental health issues, and they, you know the police got involved because he made a comment that someone in the church likes him. So there was this issue. So I said, why don't you have him condemn? And they couldn't because of the fact that you have to wait until something happens before he can be committed. Mm -hmm. So there's all these rules. So we have to really look at the mental health now. And I don't care how, what anybody says on this. We know this was a transgender individual went yeah. from a, ma a female transitioning to a male. I mean, and I'm sure we're going to get ramifications when I say this, that, to me, that person has some type of mental illness. I mean, that's, I think that goes with a, a, a mental, that, mental, and, mental. And or trauma. I mean, it's okay, just, and or trauma on. growing up in a family that is trying to deny how she feels. So, I mean, I can, I can definitely get on, on that. There's just there's something that we need to look at. And we also have to look at, like, here's an example. I was talking at work. The John Wick saga come out. John Wick 4 come out. And I heard someone who saw it. I haven't seen it. But someone who saw it said it was, it was really good. But it was more violent than the last four. I saw a couple of the John Wick saga, like John, the first one. In the first 20 minutes, he kills like 40, 50 people. There was guns all over the place. Mm -hmm. So when Hollywood and entertainment world is condemning violence with guns. They sell it. They sell it. They benefit off and they profit off of it. So then you have to look at social media. These kids, I mean, when we grew up or when I grew up, there was no social media. You didn't see this violence on TV or on the movies, you didn't, you weren't ingrained like it is today. I 
really think movies were more violent back then than they really are now. Not like that. The gore's gotten a little bit more intense. Yeah, because of computers. They classify that as a horror, though. I mean, but you didn't when you turned on the TV. You didn't see that when you went to the movies. They were stipulated. It was um, R, PG, and G, and then they added PG thirteen. Yeah. Just so it wasn't like an R, but it was not PG. Just so they can get some of that stuff. You get to see boobs in PG. But she. But the other point is. Then you also had the the family unit was stronger. When I was a kid, you go to high school, bring your truck. You could have a rifle in the back of the truck, fully visible, as long as it was locked and there was no problem. Well, that's that's we, the the question. The million dollar question is, you know, take the the uh, the weapon out of this whole case and. Look at how society has changed. I mean, you know, now we're finding out that an AR-15 really wasn't used. It was a different one. But, you know, going back to that, because that's the most common one that everybody knows. It was is, like a pistol carbine, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was um, a pistol. I know the other one was a kel 2000. Yeah, the kel It was and just that was a like gun. Yeah, I mean, that can be, that can have a Glock magazine. You can go from 15 right. to 30 to all the way to 60-round magazines. More to my point is when you have a gun that's been in the civilian market we're touching 60 years, and there wasn't all these mass shootings back then, but now you have them. What changed in our society where we got so violent, where we got There's an abundance, hate and, you know. and, you know, all this stuff is just building up. It's like, you know, it's sad that our kids can't go to school I mean, and it just is. finish an eight-hour day. And well, I was watching something on the news, and they are talking about we need to, you know, harden our schools. We need to put some – I'm just thinking, like, how did we get to this point – Right. Where you have to have armed guards at schools. Now, take the, the shooter. She, I mean, she was 28 years old. She went to this school 15 years prior because you figured it went up to sixth grade. Can we just pause just one second? Read the questions before, oh, you, I'm sorry. before you finish it. Oh. By Beach Baby. Beach Baby. And that, we have your answer. Is there any truth to the claim that the shooter scouted a different school, but it was too secure? Now, I heard that, and that's been repeated. They still haven't got information. I don't. They just said another location. They hadn't said it was a school. And they and said that her manifesto was saying uh, was giving details about this school and well, the they, security. Now and they stuff haven't. Like I, I'm just going by this morning. As of this morning, they haven't released the manifesto, and I haven't seen anything all day that they said that. I don't and, know if that was accurate or not. And I would think someone going to the school would have you know, be more than likely to target their own school. But also the fact that she's 28, 28. and, she, you know, she um, hadn't been at school in God like knows how long. 15 so, years, I mean, like 11 years. So you graduate, let's see, sixth grade is what you've got. How old is your son? 13. So what grade? Seventh. So back up a couple of years, so I went about 10? Yeah, so she's 28, so you're talking, I mean, almost 15 years, I guess, if my math is right, and I'm dyslexic, so I'm just saying. You know, there there was, I mean, we should go on to our next topic, but real quick is that is majority of the school shootings done by a person that went to that school. I mean, stemming from <coughs> Parkland up to now, I mean, I would think I would think so, that there was some kind of an affiliation but see, but yeah, with but- that school. So... I mean, you're automatically, you know, limiting the people, and then you can kind of go from there. But see, but what you're saying is, 
she did go to that school, but she scouted another venue. Now, yeah. they still haven't said what that other venue was, but she said, well, that, I mean, excuse me, the news said that she went there, but the security was too tight. So she decided to take a second alternative. So it's, she scouted two places. What were those two places? Now, this goes into some of the are equating because she's tra- she's transgender. Tennessee passed a bill recently that you can't get really tightened up that you're you're almost forbidden to do transgender or gender affirming care on minors. Did that play a factor in? And this goes back to this diversity, equity, and inclusion where everything is about transgender, LGBTQ. And I'm not trying to demonize that segment of society, but in my theory is this, and we've talked about this to people at work. If you want to be belong to, like you say, your LGBTQ plus or whatever it is, that's fine. Mm-hmm. If you want to be trans, that's 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 fine. But when you when you push it into the children, when you put this material to children, or when you have people say well, we want to give gender affirming care to children, I have a problem with that. Well, can I maybe bring up something that just kind of came to mind? Is okay. that you know. <clears throat> We all maybe stem from different, you know, religions. And, you know, people kind of being like, you know, if you have Jehovah's Witnesses, they're knocking on your door, you know, Mormon, Christian, Catholic, you know, and they're kind of, uh, in a sense, browbeating you to kind of convince you that their religion is better than, than the one that you have now. Would it be different if we just took the LGBTQ Instead of doing it as a sexual orientation, if we called it a religion, what do you think? Do you think it would be as? Um, would it be trying to shove it down our throat as much? Well, I would. I, we've always had religious revivals. They were big in the eighteen hundreds. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much they're big now, but we've always had that. We've always had religions go door to door, do missionary work. That's always been part of it. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, we never really had it, and I don't know people can fault me for this, and I'm sure comments will come up on this. We never had it pushed into the schools. Mm-hmm. I mean, really pushed into the schools. I mean, we when I was a kid, I got I got um, a day off because I was Catholic, and I wanted to go to uh, my parents wanted to take me to Good Friday services. That was allowed, but we never was never jammed down anybody's throat. But now when it comes, but even on this equity, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, it just seems like they everything's about equity. And I know I've mentioned this many times on the podcast. <clears throat> you look at the schools and they're all, everything's about race. Everything's about race. It's just like the incident they had at Stanford um, Law School where you had the Federalist Society, which typically is a conservative society, invited this federal judge to speak. Well, they were shouted down by many of the law school students. You even had the dean of diversity, equity, and inclusion come on, and she was browbeating the um, the speaker. Now, you may disagree with the speaker. Now, this coming from a law school, you're supposed to debate the idea. You debate, debate the topic, the merits, the the, 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 the subject matter, that's how you learn. I learned from a lot of – there's one guy at work who's a little bit more moderate to liberal than me. 
I learn a lot from him. We have our dis- discussions. We don't get into arguments because I see where he's coming from. And the reason I like to debate somebody or discuss it from somebody, maybe I haven't fully researched my argument or I didn't see that point of view. So I need to go back. And many times I do, like you guys. Mm-hmm. If you say something, I got to go back and maybe I didn't research it fully. But that's what we should be about. But what they did is they browbeated this and they shut it down and they do it under the guise of free speech. Shouting down someone else is not free speech. And the courts have ruled that way as well. Yeah. But it just seems like everything is about equity and diversity and inclusion. Would it be more... I would say, would it have benefited more if they don't, if they didn't kind of come at us and be like, "You have to accept this." Oh, and that's the point. You have to accept one side's point like, of view. I would think if they just let it happen, it would be well. It would the best be a example bit more positive then was in 2007. I spoke at Lowell High School in Sacramento, um, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Tends to be liberal. They had a anti-war spokesman speak. So we said, "Well, why don't we get a shot?" So I went down. We brought a bunch of Gold Star parents. They made their speech, but they didn't really have knowledge on the geopolitics. So I got up there in a speech. I said, listen, I'll tell you who I am. I got 10 seconds. This is who I am. I'll open it up to the questions to the audience. I'll keep my answers short. I may not have convinced anybody, mm-hmm. but I had people come up to me. I may not have agreed, but it got people thinking. That's all, we, that's all we're supposed to do. But when you shut someone down, especially when they do it over race, and when they talk about equity – Look at these schools. Like I just read an article by Jason Riley. He's a um, an African American. Just so I put that in context from the Wall Street Journal, and he's a fellow at the Manhattan Institute. He came from inner city Buffalo. He mentioned the mayoral race in Chicago. Eighty percent of the students. I mean, think about this. Eighty percent of the students in Chicago can't read or do math to grade level. Seventy-five percent of them are. African-American. So in that city, about 70% of black and Hispanic kids are deficient at grade level in math and English. But they're all about equity. And many schools like San Francisco, Los Angeles, California, Oregon, New York, Chicago, Illinois, and cities and states, the way to address the equitable disadvantage these kids have, let's drop the standards. How does that make sense? How does dropping the educational standard going to help minority children read better, do math better, do better in science. How are they going to get a job when they're reading and doing math three level, four or five grade levels behind when they graduate? How is that equitable? Now, maybe what kind of thinking is this where, like, you know, if education is on a slope, you have students that are more intelligent than others – is there maybe a way to segment it and put them in certain areas where they might excel? Like maybe this person that's not doing so well uh, or is at the bottom of the grade, you know, instead of keeping, we'll keep everything the same, but just go, maybe you'll be better at construction or maybe you would be better at being a podcaster. You but know? See, yeah, but see, but Joe, they're not doing that. Like Chicago. But, but could they or should they? They should they. Okay. They should do that. They should identify what's the best needs of the child, and the parents should have a greater say. New York, under Mayor de Blasio, I know the current mayor uh, mayor of New York, Eric Adams, was going to rescind that. I don't know if he did that or not. i got to double-check. But Mayor de Blasio, under equity, because the gifted and talented program 
in um, New York City, he was going to abolish it because not enough blacks and Hispanics were getting in. Well, instead of looking at, and for me, I'm all about why. Why aren't there enough um, uh, people of color getting in? Because their educational standard is crap. But can you just segment it to like a black and Hispanic type of schooling where they're just like, hey, let's see who excels there and kind of maybe but see the thing is they like, want, have like a curve. But see, they're, they're going against that. A lot of these, like they have charter schools housed in the same public schools. Uh, excuse me. They have the charter schools housed in the same public schools, grabbing the same kids from these same neighborhoods, and the charter schools are doing far better. California is doing that. Not the charter schools, but in San Francisco, Lowell High School went, went away from taking a test to get into a lottery system. Who does that impact the most? Asian students, because they do far better on these tests because they study. Mm -hmm. They put a focus on education. So if you want to help people of color get better educational and raise the bar. So why can't we maybe take a page out of like the best education system in the world and kind of just kind of mimic or mirror that because what they do to make it equitable they want to those who push equity diversity and inclusion meritocracy is racist we all all three of us are going to be at definite different economic levels i'm dyslexic mm -hmm. i wanted to be an economist but once i was going to college i realized I've struggled at math, so that wasn't going to be happening. So do I get a pass because I'm dyslexic? No, I just I move on to something else. Mm -hmm. But when you say meritocracy is racist and we push everything under the guise of race when race isn't a factor, and I'm not saying, and I hope people don't misunderstand, I'm not saying there's not racism in America, but not everything is about race. No, but they do. They they Everything they, uh, is yeah. about race. Well, more or less the left make it. Well, but look at race. look at President... They make it a victim mentality. Yeah, there's well, a you, victim mentality. I mean, look at the, the Biden administration. If you criticize Pete Buttigieg, who happens to be the, the openly gay Secretary of Treasury, I could care less if he's gay. Mm -hmm. As soon as you criticize him, what does he fall back on? You don't want a, um, a gay um, secretary treasurer, or I'm going to because I'm a presidential candidate. Look at Lori Lightfoot. She won the mayor's race four years ago, she, and she lost really handedly this time. Mm -hmm. What does she use as an excuse? Oh, you didn't want a, a black woman. Well, how did they vote for you four years ago, overwhelmingly supported you, mm -hmm. but four years later they didn't? Well, it think, seems like they always fall back on this victimization, it's either I'm black or I'm this, I'm that. Well, you didn't, I think you just right there, you proved your point about how diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion is flawed is because people, in a sense, voted or hired her because maybe she was a black woman, but she couldn't perform the job. And then all of a sudden, since the job, you, you couldn't handle the job or you couldn't do the job well, well, guess what? We're hiring somebody else. And it wasn't because that person was white or black or Hispanic. They're getting that job because you sucked at your job before. Exactly. That. People are looking. I could care less if someone's gay. I just want them to be competent at the job. And the other one who does it a lot of it is um, Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House pro spokesman. She's the first openly gay 
press spokesman. But what does she do when you you question her or criticize her? She falls back. I'm a woman. I'm black and I'm gay. And she ignores you too. And there's all the press conferences. If you get if you throw that victim as so you're basically telling minorities that the only way for you to get ahead, we got to drop the stand, and you're actually harming them instead of helping them. I want everybody to have the same educational opportunities. Now, what you do with it is up to you. So, John, before we take off, why don't you go ahead? Maybe how do we fix the problem? Because, I mean, obviously it's, it's affecting our military, which is then affecting our national security. Well, so. it is because it's, it's permeating through every – first it's in our colleges, then it's our universities, then it's in our government. Now it's in our military. I talked to a friend of mine who's at a senior-level command at the base – at McDill, and he says, I spend at least two hours a day on diversity, equity, and inclusion training. I mean, should the military be focused on that? How's that going to... I mean, how are we supposed to figure... If we're supposed to go to war with China, is China and Russia worried about that, or the Iranians? No. How does that work out when we're fighting in, like, trench warfare? Yeah, it's just... When I was in Iraq... And Joe, you were there, and just I know you too, Ray, when you were in the Marine. I could care less what race or ethnicity the other guy was. When we got hit, all I worried about is you're getting me home and I'm getting you home. But when we're so focused on that, we're dividing everybody and dividing the country. Is there racism in America? Yes. Is that, Did America have a dark history? Yes. But also a friend of mine's father liberated a concentration camp in Germany during World War II. Was America bad then? Could we be better? Yes. The way we get rid of it is base everything on merit. And if someone's racist, hold them accountable. But not everything is racist. But if you're pushing the diversity and equity, these minority children who you claim to help are being punished. And a lot of the – I mean, when you've got 80% of minority children can't read or do basic math – we got a problem here, and they should have choices for what they're so they can get better education, so they can get a better job. All right. So that is our show for today. John, how can they go ahead and get a hold of you us? You can get a hold of us by going to Ubaldi Reports at gmail.com, or you can check us out on all the social media applications like Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, definitely TikTok. Um, check us out on all our streaming services. If you missed this show, just finding out now, you can check us out because we'll post it at all the different uh, podcast streaming sites. So every Wednesday at 7.30 Eastern Standard Time, we are doing um, we do podcasts. We're trying to get some prominent individuals. I'm working with the Hoover Institution to get H.R. McMaster's on the show. So then you'll be able to ask General McMaster, who was Trump's former national security advisor, on some of the issues facing like the war in Ukraine or why we're involved in the Middle East and some other areas. So, But also I want to introduce Joe and Ray, and they have a podcast that's American uh, Gunslingers that's a little bit more edgier than this. So let you guys explain that one. So Ray and I have, we have a podcast, All American Gunslingers, talk whiskey like everybody else does. We talk guns probably like a lot of people too. Uh, and we have like just Marine stories and stuff like that. So uh, tune in, listen, uh, especially during our weekly experiences and uh you can get us and you can see us about seven thirty eight on tiktok when we do a live and when we podcast so uh all american gunslingers at gmail.com is how you can get a hold of us 
Until next time, till next Wednesday at 7.30 Eastern Standard Time, keep following Ubaldi Reports. Till till next time, keep following Ubaldi Reports.